Well, hello. I am Jacob Crandall. I'm the youth pastor here, for those of you who don't know me. And I get the special privilege of bringing up a very dear mentor and friend of mine. He is incredibly motivational to me, and he is has a very impressive career. He's been a pastor for 45 years as a different lead pastoring, campus pastoring, and he sought to be retired, but then when he moved to where he lives now, he found himself working again as a campus pastor. So we'll see if he can ever figure that out. But that is only to be outdone his 45 years of ministry by his 46 years of marriage. That's pretty good. I've married two years. <laughs> and I hope to someday be able to say I've been married 46. Mike is very committed to his faith and his family. And he is a wealth of knowledge from the scripture. He has mentored me for what, two, two and a half-ish years now. And, man, I just feel so privileged to, to get to bring him up. Um, man, what else is there to say about Mike? He married my wife and I, and, yeah, if, if you ever get a chance to just have a great conversation with him, he loves Jesus, and it's very evident, and he shares the love of Christ everywhere he goes. So it only seems appropriate to bring him up and bring up Pastor Dr. Mike Full. Well, I think before we start today, we should start with asking the Lord to forgive Jacob for the embellishment of my introduction. Probably should ask God to forgive me too for enjoying it so much. Jacob is one of, and of course, Danielle as well. I've known Danielle since she was very young. Her mom and dad and her twin sister and her younger brother were a part of our work in South Orange County, a little town called Rancho Santa Margarita, where we spent the last 15 years of ministry before I retired in June of 2022, which lasted for about six days because I do love what I do, but I will say that Jacob and Danielle are probably among the best representation of the most significant work that I've had in 45 years is building up young people to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, mentoring is just a wonderful thing, so grateful for the privilege of being here. I love being here with you today, and just so thankful for the privilege that we have of talking about something during your missions month emphasis, talking about re-engaging missions. As you talk about your mission vision and the opportunities that perhaps are going to present themselves to you as the ability to come alongside and to partner, whether it's a local ministry or it's a a national or international ministry and myself I've been to Cuba four times in the last five years and have been able to go since uh, obviously some of the, the political issues there have become once again as pointed as they are but the reality is is that as our brother just shared from this pulpit 
everywhere you go is a mission field amen so some of you are going back to a classroom tomorrow some of you are going back to a work site tomorrow some of you are going to go home to a neighborhood that that your pastors your leaders here at this church will never perhaps visit and that's why god puts you there so we're going to re-engage not only discussion as a church as to missions and our role in missions but we also want to re-engage with a very famous story from the life of jesus so behind me and in front of me on the screen we're going to be taking a look at a very famous story from the life of jesus early in his ministry in fact theologians call the first year of jesus ministry the year of popularity and you're going to see that pretty well cleared out for you in the first couple of verses so here we go this is from the english standard version which i do not typically teach from i teach from the new american standard but you know one does what one does when they're the guest speaker so it's a good translation on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of god he was standing by the lake of gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets getting into one of the boats which was simon's he asked him to put out a little from the shore and he sat down and taught the people from the boat and when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word i will let down the nets and when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink but when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus feet saying depart from me for i am a sinful man o lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were james and john sons of zebedee who were partners with simon and jesus said to simon do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men and when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him at the highlight of their career they left think about it at the highlight of their career as fishermen and they had to have been good at what they did because they had a partnership you see james and john's name mentioned there it's not like simon just went out by himself with just a hook and a and a, and a line it's this work that he had been called to it's, it's not lost on me and it should not be lost on you that at least four of the 12 that jesus called to share ministry with him during that three three and a half year period of time when he was on the earth were fishermen and toward the end of the message today we're going to talk about the significance and the spiritual parallels between being fishermen and being those who will take men alive which by the way is the literal translation of fishers and men now 
I'm 67, and yes, I feel every part of it. I may not look like it, but I feel every part of it. How many of you, because you'd have to be my age, how many of you remember going to Sunday school when you were little and learning the song, I Will Make You Fishers of Men? And one hand, two. You just put your hand up because you don't want me to feel badly about being old. All right? I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you what? Follow me. And there were multiple verses. And there were, of course, there were hand signals and gestures and all that and so forth and so on. But the literal is taking men alive. And here at a very early stage in the life of Christ, he calls Simon and James and John to a place where they are willing to abandon all that they had accumulated, all they had accomplished, simply walk away from it and embark on the life of discipleship. Now, the first two verses, if you want to go to the next slide, the first two verses give us the scene of Lake Gennesaret. All right, you can actually move on if you will. The Lake of Gennesaret, you probably would know it better as the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. And I want you to notice that what, what is Jesus doing there? He's teaching, amen? Now, you can trust me on this, but if you want this week, read the four Gospels, and you will find that every time a list of activities that Jesus was involved with, whether it was deliverance, healing, raising people from the dead, mentoring the men that he had called to himself all of those activities being powerful in and of themselves life-changing in and of themselves but the one that was the most important is the one that you see here in this first few verses teaching the word of god in mark chapter 1 jesus had had a particularly filled day of ministry which began with casting out demons and then raising the sick. And at night, the whole village seemed to be brought to him so he could lay hands on them and pray over them that they might be healed. And the next morning, he gets up between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning, and he goes and he looks for a lonely place so he could have time with the Father and receive direction and empowerment from the Father. And if you read the story in verse 37... The disciples hunt for him. The word is feverishly in our translations, but they literally are hunting for him. And they ask him what he was doing when, in fact, the ministry opportunities were so prevalent and so powerful in the place that he had been the day before. And he said this to them. He said, we must go elsewhere we must go to other villages because that is what I came out for. Came out of where? Not the obscurity of growing up the son of a carpenter. Not the honor that he showed his mother by taking care of her upon the death of Joseph. It's coming out of heaven. The Bible says, leaving the glories of heaven, Jesus came to earth. To do what primarily? To teach the word of God. Dear ones, can I tell you why that's the primary activity? Because it is the word of God that saves men and women. 
It's the word of God. And so this is my, my moment to tell you I have two concerns as a, a senior. I won't call myself a senior statesman. I don't have that wide of, of path of influence. But I will tell you that after more than four decades in pastoral ministry, I will tell you that I look at the church in America today and I have two great and grave concerns. The first one is I fear that we are raising up another generation of people, certainly not true of your church and your leadership, but we are raising up another generation of people who profess to know Jesus and know nothing of his word. Biblical illiteracy is rampant in America's churches. The second is this, that we seem when we want to put some focus on evangelism or we want to put some focus on mission, whether it's local mission or it's national mission or it's international opportunities that present themselves for us to come alongside or to go to and to become a part of, it seems that our answer to that in too many churches is just to hire somebody else to do that for us. All right? I'm going to put you on the spot right now. How many of you here, I want to see hands. How many of you here would say today that you have a life-changing and a life-giving relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ? How many of you would say that? Then I'm going to say this to you. All of you got a story. All of you have a testimony. Do you know why I think most people don't give their testimony anymore? Because they don't think it's dramatic enough for people to hear it. Not everybody gets knocked off their high horse like Paul in Acts chapter 9, amen? Some of you, however, were saved from a life of addiction. Can I get an amen? Some of you were saved from a life of immorality. Some of you were saved from those things that happened to you when you were younger that you had no control over and yet it gave direction to your life it colored your life but yet God in his son God by his spirit reached down and saved your soul and I'm going to repeat to you everybody here has got a story everybody and yet it doesn't seem that we're we're hearing the average person talk today about how Jesus has changed their life. Perhaps today, in these few minutes that we have, I can do something to motivate you to want to continue to do that here. Why is Simon so amazed? We'll go to the next slide. Obviously, it's the catch of fish. It's the bringing of the fish on board, and the the fish are so heavy that the boats begin to sink. Obviously, that creates within not just Simon but creates within those that were there in that day this amazement but let me suggest you when we get to verse 8 you're going to find a deeper truth but as we begin in the second part of verse 3 as Jesus has been put out to shore have you ever wondered when you read the story Jesus had been standing on the shore and it says in verse 1 that people were crowded around him to hear the word of God amen At this point in his life, everywhere Jesus went, people were flocking to him, not just for the miracles, although that was true, because Jesus was a master storyteller, amen? 
Jesus was, Jesus was able to hold people's interests and bring spiritual truths to life. But here's the, here's the practical thing that Jesus does in verse 3. He asked Simon, noticing that there's these boats, he asked Simon if he could get into one of the boats and Simon could put him out a little distance from the shore, which creates a greater environment for people to hear what Jesus was saying. Because those people so close to him, crowding around him, would have kept some who were standing in the rear from not only not seeing him, but not hearing him. The second thing that's very practical today is Jesus was always enlisting people to do something in ministry. So when he says to Simon, we know him better as Peter, to be sure, but when he says to Simon, Simon, might I use your boat? Could you put me out a little bit farther in the water so the people could hear? But it gave Simon a chance to serve very early in his life of profession of believing that Jesus was the Messiah. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Jesus, his ministry was all about releasing people to do ministry. Amen? Have you ever, in the Gospels, have you ever noticed how Jesus was so good with the individuals? We, we hear him talking to the masses, amen. We, we know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Luke chapter 6. We know that there were these throngs of people that followed Jesus. But we also know that Jesus always took time to deal with the individual. Do you remember the story in Luke's gospel about the man that was filled with demons? His name was Legion because there were many of them in him. And Jesus sets him free, amen? And he, in his enthusiasm, says to Jesus, I want to go with you as you continue on your ministry journey. And Jesus said, no, I want you to stay here among these people that know you. And I want you to tell your story of how you got set free. Jesus is always trying to enlist people in ministry, amen? And the final one there, the very practical wisdom that Jesus shows, is I think he wants to have a private conversation with, with Peter. Peter, could you put your boats out, cast out into the deep? That's where the fish are. Now, verse 5 to me is classic. Master, we worked hard all night. But at your word, I'll take us out in the deep and we'll throw down the nets. By the way, there were three ways you fished in that day. There was the fishing pole, if you will, whatever that might have looked like. There was, if you will, a simple net that a person with just a small vessel would throw out into the water but there was also the larger which is in reference here it's the larger of a dragnet and you would tie it between two vessels and you would then drag but as you see they had fished all night in the shallow waters where they typically caught fish amen now this is this is what i love about this text we think we know this text and we do but because it's a living text, because the Word of God is living and what? Active. As I've been sitting and preparing to be with you, this is some of the, the, not so much new truth, but the new revelation for me out of verse 5. 
And I'm going to share it with you because I believe it is incumbent upon us to recognize there's coming a time in your life, if you're not already there, where you're going to experience the very same thing that Peter did. And it's this. There's a tension between faith and what you say you believe is true, what the Word of God says, and reason, and logic, and experience, and education, and your own understanding. Amen? How many of you, no show of hands this time, how many of you have had a moment in your life right now when you said either out loud, out loud or to yourself, Jesus, I have no idea what you're doing right now? right i have no idea what you're doing right now the reason you don't have any idea about what jesus is doing right now is because jesus is incomprehensible and cannot be fully understood whole books have been written on theology proper which is the study of god god the father but may i remind you that when we sang up here today i think it was the final song in the worship set in the refrain it says great are you what lord The greatness of God is the incomprehensibility of God. You'll never exhaust God. But there comes that time where there's this tension between put out and cast down your nets for a catch. And Simon's saying, Lord, we worked hard all night. But at your word, I'll do what you say. It's... it's, happens throughout the new testament acts chapter 9 already referenced the apostle saul is on his way to arrest those who were followers of the way which was the first i love the, the church living way i love that because the first title for the church was not the church we're not christians it was followers of the way and saul is on his way i believe it was to damascus to arrest people and he's on his horse and all of a sudden he sees this bright light and he hears this voice and he understands who the voice belongs to when he is knocked off his horse and he's blind for a period of three days and he says who who is it who are you and he hears the voice from heaven it is i jesus and the one you are persecuting Remember, my dear friends, as you re-engage mission, as you re-engage vision for mission, as you re-engage the way in which you're going to raise funds to support mission, please remember this, that it's not simply a matter of raising money. It's not simply a matter of going. It's always about the presence of the Spirit of God sending you out. It's always about you knowing that you've been called. But there are those moments, amen, where we just feel this tension. It doesn't make sense. I spent 17 and a half years as a lead pastor in Huntington Beach. Most of it was pleasant. There were those seasons. It was a tough place to pastor because it's a beach community. It's dominated by the beach. And it my church just happened to be three blocks in from the Huntington Beach Pier, and it, it was an interesting place to pastor during that time. And I was quite happy there for that whole time. In fact, I thought I was going to stay there the rest of my professional calling 
to pastor there, and then I had this opportunity to go plant a church in South Orange County. And I want to take just a couple minutes and tell you that it defied my sense of understanding because I'm going to say to you right now, I don't believe still to this day I have the skill set to be a church planter. I don't even believe that I had the temperament to be a church planter. I was perfectly happy watching God grow our church in Huntington Beach and, and seeing us have a sphere of influence among the church. And in fact, I was fortunate enough along with my friend who went to be at the lord last year we started the pastor's prayer fellowship in huntington beach and we met every week every week we met as pastors praying that god would give us the city and i've been gone from huntington beach now for over 20 years they still meet every single week believing god's going to give them the city amen can we believe god's going to give you pasadena hallelujah so i'm at a conference in san diego i can tell you where i was as a pastor's conference and the speaker gets up and says there comes a time in life where you've got to step out of the boat and walk on the water and attempt to do something that without God would be impossible and I thought well that's interesting because we'd been given this opportunity by a group of people to come out and start a church there and I thought well that was an interesting word and the next day same conference another speaker gets up and says, you know, there comes this time in your life as a Christian when you've got to attempt to do that which is impossible without God, like stepping out of a boat, which might be very comfortable, and attempting to walk on water that might be turbulent. And I was sitting next to a woman, and we'd shared a little bit before the sermon started that night, and uh, she looked at me, and she says, that, that was for you. To which I responded, you're a Presbyterian, you don't get words from God. <laughs> Us Pentecostals, you know, we major in that, right? In fact, you all remember, you just went home to be with Jesus, Jack Hayford, who was for many years the pastor at Church on the Way, right? And every year we'd wait for his pastor's conference, and it was just a great time together, and Church on the Way was packed. And a few years ago, you might know this name, um, C. Peter Wagner, who at, was at Fuller, and for many years was the head of the missions department there at Fuller. And so Jack invites Dr. Wagner to come speak, and he gets up to the pulpit and before he says a word, he, he stops and turns around and he looks at Jack and he says, Pastor Jack, Pastor Jack, I must be a Pentecostal because the Lord just changed my message. To which Jack replied, not skipping a beat. If you were a real Pentecostal, you wouldn't have had a message to begin with. <laughs> that's not, that's true story, but that's not how Jack was in the pulpit, right? But the reality was, she turns to me and she says, that was for you. So I, I remember going outside in the, in the corridor, and I called my wife. I said, hey, just want to share with you this is what was just said, and maybe we need to continue to pray more earnestly into this opportunity. Fast forward in the summer of that year, I was in Oregon at my mom and dad's house where they moved when they had gone into retirement. I'd taken a book. I'd was a, a novel it was a piece of fiction i'd taken this book with me i'd started it put it down started it put it down started it putting down so now i'm on vacation and i thought okay i'm going to finish this book right open up the book start reading come to a part in the book where the protagonist in the book says this you know there comes this time in your life when you got to step out of the boat and attempt to do something for god that would be impossible without him i put the book down called my wife into the den and said we're going to we're going to 
take that opportunity to plant a church. Went and called an elder and a deacon in a church and said, put, put together a board meeting next Sunday. That next Sunday after church, I walked in and I said, believe the Lord's calling us to South Orange County. Did I understand it? No. Did it make sense to me? No. Was it at the height of the ministry that God had given us in Huntington? Yes. I'm just saying to you, dear ones today, there will come a point in your life where there is this tension point between what you believe God says and what you think you understand. But might I quote you a section from my life verse? You probably know this one really well, Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your, what? Own understanding. In all thy ways, direct your paths and he will set you straight. He'll make your paths straight. The final thing there is Peter's response. It's one of humility. He falls down at the feet of Jesus, but it's also one of revelation when he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Have you noticed in your reading of the scripture that when people come into the presence of someone they recognize as greater than themselves, they always have the same response. They either fall down and worship or they confess him. Job chapter 42. Job says, I despise myself. I repent in sackcloth and ashes thinking that I could somehow have discussion with you. How about Isaiah, one of the great passages in all the Bible? Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And what was the response of the, of the surrounding throng around the, around the throne of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. By the way, it's the only attribute of God ever found in Scripture that's repeated three times. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm ruined. One of the best translations says that Isaiah says, upon seeing God, he says, I am unraveling in his very presence. John Revelation chapter 1 on the island of Patmos when he turns and he sees the vision that was presented for him there and he recognizes that he's talking to Jesus. He falls down at his feet and the Lord graciously brings him to his feet and says, do not be afraid. I think you and I would be amazed too would we not if we'd been a passenger on that little boat that day? And all those fish, whether Jesus knew where they were or Jesus directed them to that spot, you can, you can make your own choice. But the reality is that when we recognize that we're in the presence of God, there's always that response of humility and confession of our own sense of worthlessness. But God makes us worthy. Amen. So in the final couple of verses of this text, 
I want to talk to you about the significance of what Christ had just said to Simon. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Literally, it means taking men alive. It was not unique to Jesus. It was a, it was a phrase that was used by people who went back many, many, many hundreds of years before Christ where philosophers would use it as a means of trying to persuade people by rhetoric to come to a place of, of agreement with whatever position they were holding. Jesus was a master, if you will, at taking things that people understood and bringing something new out of it. But if you, how, many, how many of you here fish? Anybody? Okay. So I don't fish. I like to eat what you catch, but I don't fish. But have you ever thought about the things that make for good fishermen have spiritual principles to it? Let me give those to you. Patience and perseverance. It takes time to find the right school of fish, and it takes time to bait the hooks or drop the nets. And just as we saw in verse 5 of today's text, you have to persevere because some nights, some days, you can go and not catch anything. But you have to be patient and you have to be perseverant. I was reflecting this morning as I was getting ready to drive over here. I was reflecting on the passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. And I, I have a, a, a list of people I send a verse to who are all pastors. And I send them a verse that the Lord puts on my heart for them for that Sunday. And the one I sent this morning or last week was preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You have to be patient to be a fisherman, amen? You got to persevere when you're trying to take men alive with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, you have to go to the right holes and use the right bait. Not all fish respond to the bait or the same bait. Sometimes you have to use a different kind of bait to catch a different kind of fish, Amen. And sometimes you have to know where they're biting. In fact, some of you who are fishermen have probably said that to one another. Where are they biting today? And so you lean upon each other. Well, the fish seem to be here. So it's going to the right fishing hole, if you will. Can I ask you a question? You live here. I don't. I live in the Central Coast. Where are the gathering spaces? Where do people in Pasadena hang out? Where do they go? Last night I went to get a sandwich at Whole Foods. It seemed like everybody in Pasadena was in Whole Foods last night. Do they go to the Rose Bowl? Do they go to Caltech? Do they go to any of the wonderful parks that you have around here? Where are the gathering spaces? If we're going to do outreach events, we can't just fling the doors open anymore and think people are going to rush in from the streets to us. That, that, can I tell you in all honesty, that ain't working, folks. Just putting the doors open on Sunday and having signs outside, come in, you're welcome, and so forth, that's not bringing people into the church. What is bringing people into the church is us going to the people and taking the gospel with us. Third, it takes courage. If you fish on the Sea of Galilee, often there would become storms that would come out of nowhere and the waves would become very high and they they would in fact capsize boats in fact i was 
saddened this morning to hear as I looked at the news before I came that there was a boating accident in San Diego yesterday where eight people lost their life when the boat capsized. They, you would have to have courage. You'd have to have courage to be a fisherman at the Sea of Galilee. You gotta have courage, amen, to hand out the truth of God's word, the truth of God's gospel in the culture that we live in today. I love the story about the evangelist who was told, this was many hundreds of years ago, he was told that the president of the United States was in the audience tonight that he was gonna preach. And so he needed to make sure he didn't say anything too controversial. Gets up to the pulpit, first thing out of his mouth is this. I have been told that the president of the United States is here tonight. He's going to hell unless he comes to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Takes courage. You got to stay out of sight. You got to keep out of sight. Your personality should not override the message of the gospel. Now, I was telling your two pastors before we started today, I'm still trying to recover from last night's UCLA loss, and I realize one of you guys over there is a Trojan, right? <laughs> Brother, we don't root for the Trojans in church. That's okay. You go for it. That's all right. And it brought back into mind, uh, you know, you go to the Rose Bowl to watch football game. You got to park and take the buses in, right? So my buddy and I, he just retired, and he really is retired, and he was a police officer, and we would come to the game. I can't remember who they were playing, but we're waiting in the, in the, where the buses are to take us out to get to our cars, right? And there's this young guy there, and I don't know how old I was. I was probably late 20s, early 30s, whatever. But there's this young guy there, and he's got a bullhorn, and he's screaming at people to turn or burn, to get right or get left, right? I mean, it was just the language of that day, right? And so my buddy is listening to this, and I'm listening to this, and my buddy looks at me, and he kind of leans over to me and says, you're going to talk to him, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. I walked over to him and said, young man, I appreciate the fact that you believe the Lord has called you, and I appreciate the fact that you believe the Lord has given you a message, but you might do yourself and others around you a great deal of service if you put the bullhorn down and just talk to people. And I'm telling you guys, if the looks could kill, <laughs> I was six feet underground. It takes courage in this culture, in this time, to talk about Jesus, amen? But you got to keep your personality out of sight. Finally, it takes teamwork. We saw that with James and John today coming to help with the fish. And it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that we have been called to this marvelous opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes faith when you share, as the brother was talking about. It takes faith when you guys go back to work tomorrow. It takes faith to bring the conversation around to spiritual topics. It takes faith to believe that the Holy Spirit could be preparing their hearts even then to hear the message of truth. It takes faith to believe that like you, God has marked them out for salvation. 
because he's not willing that any man perish, but all come to repentance in Christ Jesus. But let me, let me begin to land the plane here and, and share with you something that I feel pretty strongly about. We live in a time where we believe, and we are right to do so, that there are many different temperaments, personality types that people have. I happen to be married to an introvert, and I straddle that extrovert-introvert line but I'm probably more outgoing than, than my wife is. Must have done something right, though, 46 years, amen? And the children even like us, right? <laughs> Believe in different spiritual gifts. Everybody here who knows Jesus has at least one, and I would say probably a cluster of spiritual gifts that God has poured into your life, but they're not all the same, Amen? Not only do we have different temperaments and personalities and there are different spiritual gifts and natural talents and abilities, how about this? There are different ways that all of you connect with Jesus in the most intimate way. You have your own sacred pathway. I'm an intellectual. I like to read the scripture. I like to understand what it says. I like to to take out my Greek and Hebrew dictionaries and learn what the word means. I feel comfortable with that. In not only defining and declaring the truth, but defending the truth. But some of you are like my wife, a naturalist. You just put her out in the wilderness and let her walk the path. She's quite happy. She communes with God in that way. She's also a celebrant. She would love the worship here. And by the way, I, don't, I hope that you talk about this when you have lunch together today. Did you notice how many of the songs that we sang this morning had this very same theme attached to it, the theme of evangelism? Gee, I wonder why that was. Do you think maybe God was superintending that? We have different learning styles. You with me? God loves variety. So why do we think the only effective evangelistic method is to knock on the door hope that that opens up, speak real quick, and run away before they slam the door in our face. Now, that's obviously hyperbole. That's an exaggeration, to be sure. But what makes you think there's only one size fits all with the way in which we share the gospel? Let me give you the next slide, and I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, but I'm going to tell you there are at least six different things in the New Testament about the way in which the gospel is presented. The first one's confrontational. It's Peter, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. By the way, read it sometime this week. Begins in verse 14, goes to verse 36. Takes about three minutes. Now, there may have been more than he said. Three minutes recorded for us. And at the end of that three-minute sermon, here's the response of the people gathered in the city that day on the day of Pentecost. What shall we do? And what's he say? Repent. Repent, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, same thing. Very confrontational. He's surrounded by people who would ultimately stone him, but he, he is confrontational to the degree that he calls them out because of their hard-hearted ways. Second is intellectual. Paul, Acts chapter 17 
Paul is walking around Athens and he sees this altar that says, to an unknown God. And it triggers something in Paul and he begins to share how it is that God has not left himself without a witness in our time. And he reasons with them from an intellectual band. If you've read the book of Romans lately, amen? The book of Romans is the high water mark of Paul's writing ministry. It simply declares the gospel, defends this gospel, and discusses it. Third, intellectually followed by the testimony, John chapter 9. The man that was blind, but Jesus heals him. Remember that one? I once was blind, but now I what? See. You all have a story. Tell your story. It may not knock people off their horse, but it might kick them into senses and thinking about what it is their own standing with Christ is. No one can dispute your story because it's yours. The fourth one is invitational. I love that one. Or I should say interpersonal. That's Levi who gets to a place where he comes to know Christ and he goes home and he opens up his house and he invites all his friends, the tax gatherers and the sinners to come have dinner with Jesus because he just wants them to hear Jesus. Just wants them to hear Jesus. By the way, in in every decade where this question has been raised, what would bring people to church? The unchurched, what would bring them to church? You know what the number one answer has always been? You asking them to come with you. I'll sit with you. I'll introduce you. Fifth, the invitational is John 4. The woman at the well. And she runs back into the village that she had been shunned because of her five marriages and the man that she was living with now was not her husband. Nobody wanted to go out and get water with her in the morning before it got really hot because, oh my gosh, we can't hang out with her. But she, upon having this time with Jesus, she runs back into the town and she tells the people, I just met a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? She just gives him an invitation to come out and listen. And then finally, the last one is service. Some of you are really good at just doing good things for people. Amen? You see a need and you meet it. In Acts chapter 9, Tabitha, her name is also called Dorcas. She's always doing good things for people in her, in her community. And when she dies, they, they people of the town, when they hear that one of the apostles is there, beg him to come and lay hands on her so that she'd be brought back to life. And that's what happened. Not one size fits all, people. It's one gospel, amen? There is no other name given under heaven whereby a man might be saved apart from the name of Jesus, right? But there's many ways to give it. Let me close as the team has come up with this last thought taking men alive you need to find the right personal style of evangelism for you don't try to be somebody else don't think you're going to be the next billy graham okay billy graham was a master at what he did in that venue and for that season of time but find the one that works for you if it's friendship evangelism great but just like david refused to wear saul's armor when he went out to to battle Goliath because it didn't fit him 
Not all these styles will fit you, but find the one that does. Number two, invest in good bait. If you know you're going to be talking to somebody about Jesus, pray beforehand. Get other people to pray with you as you go. Pray as you're talking for the discernment of the Holy Spirit to draw them to a place where their felt need is established. For the person who's anxious, if you will, talk to them about the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. For the person who is without hope because they're so discouraged and they're so beaten down in life, talk to them about a hope that does not disappoint. Find the right bait. Show genuine interest in people. Jesus cared about people. And do I believe that your simple acts of kindness, your random acts of kindness, your love for people, do I think it's going to give you an invitation to talk to folks about Jesus? Yes, I do. I believe that when you and I take the time to deal with individuals as individuals, that we will earn their respect and the chance to speak into their life. And then finally, there's the Holy Spirit's promise and his empowerment. In Acts chapter 1, the key verse in Acts chapter 1 is verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the outermost parts of the earth. The Great Commission gang is still going on around us. But for us to be, I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it. For us to be successful and however you engage in mission, we all have a part to play. We cannot simply hire people to do it for us. We have to be willing to go if God says, go. If God tells us to stay, we need to stay and pray to be sure. But when you go to that classroom tomorrow, when you go to that workspace tomorrow, when you drive home to that neighborhood today, that is your mission field even now. And just pray that God would empower you, lead you to a place where you just can't stop talking about Jesus. You know, Churchill, I'm going to ask our pastors to come forward. We're going to pray for you in just a minute here. But Winston Churchill said was the definition of a fanatic was a person who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. I love that line. Can I just tell you, I'm a fanatic for Jesus. I don't have to jump up and down and be crazy. I can have a reasonable, logical presentation of the gospel. But I want to tell you that I'm not going to change my mind about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And given the opportunity to talk to people who need him, I'm going to talk to them. My, my brothers, would you come? And we're going to pray today for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to come in a new, a fresh anointing upon your life as the people who make up Living Way. And as you follow the direction of your pastoral team and the leadership team, and as you begin to re-engage with mission, I'm going to ask in just a moment that you would come to a place where you say, Mike, today, I need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. I need the courage that the Holy Spirit, the boldness that the Holy Spirit will provide so that I will go out and share my faith. Can you, can you amen that? All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, in this place, in this season of time, 
in this country in which we live when there are so many voices competing for our attention, so many different ideologies and so many different theological frameworks which, God, are threatening to drown out the still small voice of the Spirit. Lord, this is not the time for us to sit on the sidelines. This is the time for us to get on the field and again begin to share our faith with passion and with preparation. This is the time for us to know how to lead people to a personal relationship with Jesus. Whether it's as simple as ABC, admit that you're a sinner, believe that Christ died to forgive you of your sins, and to confess him with your mouth and believe on him in the heart, and then you will be saved. Whatever it is, God, whatever the preparation, I know that these brothers, as they lead this church, their leadership team, the leaders, the elders in this church, I know all of these people, God, would be so glad not only to help prepare this congregation to share their faith, but in ways that are normative, conversational, and biblical. So I'm asking Holy Spirit right now, and if, if, you, if you want to receive that fresh anointing, would you, would you simply put your hands out with your palms up? Holy Spirit, you see these palms. You see these people. You see the response of these people. And I'm asking Jesus that once again, there would be a personal Pentecost in this place for us today and for them, that you would send forth the Holy Spirit that they might receive not just the power to serve and the power to love but the power to share the good news about Jesus help them to be discerning help them to see with the eye of faith help them to look at the one that that is just downtrodden and and has been beaten down by the, the things of life Lord and to go to that one and simply to say can I talk to you about my Jesus give my friends who pastor here God would you give them wisdom would you give them good counsel from your word God about how this congregation is going to re-engage themselves in the work of missions and above all God may we every day enjoy being in your presence simply sitting at your feet enjoying a time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll stand.